There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show. And it's great to be back again for yet another week. Uh, soon be Christmas and the New Year, believe it or not. And uh, today we're going to be talking about, about overcoming resistance, which I think is a really important uh, uh, topic, as I'm sure you've all experienced re- resistance from others and perhaps resistance in yourself uh, before in the past. Um, before I talk, talk about this show, though, I want to say a big thank you to Brian Clayton. Brian Clayton is the founder of uh, Your Green Pal, uh, which is a, a company that uh, does, does mowing and lawn maintenance, but as a website that actually has um, you know, thousands of uh, providers of those services and uh, thousands of customers uh, across the United States. They're growing globally. They're very, very successful. And uh, really, I thought Brian was just very, very insightful last week. Uh, I particularly loved when he was developing. So we're talking about developing you know, technology um, without capital, without an understanding of kind of coding and how they went about it to build a successful company. And I loved, I loved the way that uh, as this company was being formed, Brian was out there, he was working for... Airbnb was uh, he was working, um, you know, uh, doing um, taxi taxi driving. Uh, he was um, working with all the companies that as a as a, a provider um, to get the experience of um, of their apps and and how it works. So he, was, he went and got a job with them for you know a, f- a few weeks. Each of them delivering pizzas and all sorts of things, and then utilizing all that learning to build uh, their kind of amazing amazing application. But there was loads of wisdom in there about being a successful entrepreneur and and what it takes and uh, a commit- commitment to it and utilizing your time well. So if you've not listened to that interview, please do go back into the archive. Do take a listen. Do like it if you can uh, and do share it. Um, but, uh, you know, seriously, it was a great conversation and very helpful. Um, so let's talk today about overcoming resistance. And I wonder if you've ever felt over, over resistance when it comes to your initiative, whether you've... Uh, You've been working with companies and you've been pushing projects for and found that your staff are resistant to to ideas, um, to your initiatives. And I think it's something we've all encountered. And that's why I was really interested today to uh, talk to my guest, Rick Mora, um, because um, I'd not really considered the strategies that are necessary to really overcome this resistance in people, you know, thoroughly understanding why it happens now, Rick Mora really does understand this. He's made this his um, you know, key area of focus, and um, he helps people to break through resistance, um, you know, turning skepticism and opposition into support, into support. And you can think about this at also at a, you know, governments needing to do this, and not just uh, and, and charities, and not just um, commercial organisations, but wherever that resistance occurs. He's worked with some amazing organizations, uh, Lockheed Martin, Deloitte. He's worked with NASA, the Washington Post, and I think with um, many government agencies in the US, in Canada, UK, Europe, and in Russia. 
So um, Rick really doesn't understand this subject well. He's written lots of books. His latest one is uh, Seizing Moments of Possibility, Ways to Trigger Energy and Forward Momentum on Your Ideas and Plans. So a big, big welcome today to Rick Mora. Uh, thanks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thanks, Chris. It's good to be here. You're very, very, you're very welcome. So tell, tell us what part of the world you live in, Rick, and you know, how, yeah. how have things been for you over the last year or two in these unusual, unusual times? Yeah, I, I live in Arlington, Virginia, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, I can be uh, downtown Washington in 20 minutes. It's, so we're very, very close. Um, the last, well, the last year and a half has, uh, has actually not been hard for me. And I know that's, uh, you know, a, a rare thing to say, but, I, you know, I work for myself. My office is my home. And I was helping a friend write a book a couple years ago, and I thought, okay, there's there's a chance to get this thing done. So we did, and then uh, then in 2020, I, I started on the book that you just mentioned, Seizing Moments of Possibility. So it gave me a lot of time to write, and and frankly, when clients would call, everything was by Zoom. I mean, everything. You know, uh, the the first actual face-to-face -face meeting I had with anybody was like two weeks ago in an office in downtown DC. I mean, it was just, it was so surprising mm -hmm. to be sitting and actually talking with people, you know, around the table. Um, but I mean, the only thing for me is like paying attention to travel and paying attention to, you know, what we need to do uh, in our part of the world. We actually are very careful. And so if, when I go into a restaurant or something, it, it there's enough distance and all, so I don't I don't feel, you know, like I'm taking my life in my hands when I'm doing stuff. So, and I know you you're a real uh, jazz fan and you you play the trombone. How, I, I, you know, how how was that? Were you able to play music <laughs> easily? I mean, you, you you sit there in your office with your trombone. <laughs> I, well, I do sit in my office with a trombone. In fact, I was practicing it this morning. Uh, it's sitting with within arm's length of where I am. I will not inflict your listeners to my trombone playing. <laughs> but um, there's a master class I was in, um, and we we moved it online, and it was it was difficult because it was really hard to hear the other musicians. Mm -hmm. But then, oh, probably three months ago, we started meeting again face to face, and we haven't had any gigs because we basically. Uh, well, there's not a lot of gigs for jazz groups, for one thing, but but also some of the places where we typically would play, I mean, I don't know that air has circulated there since the 1930s. I mean, these are kind of dank basement places that uh, you think, this is not too safe. So mm. I'm getting to play with other people. I'm not getting to perform, and I do miss that. Uh, mm. I'm just looking at a picture of you, actually, at the moment, and you're there, you've got a head torch on, uh, you got your shorts on. You're walking <laughs> thick, you know, out and about somewhere. Um, uh, you look like you might have taken a tumble, even looking at the uh, the, the uh, your shorts. Um, is, is that something that you managed to do during lockdown? Get out in the countryside still um, yeah, during that, the period. And... Actually, that photo that you're looking at on Zoom is uh, I was doing a hike across the Grand Canyon that's called Rim to Rim, and the idea is that you start in the morning and you hike down to the bottom, cross the Colorado River and up to the other side. I think it's about 24 miles. And so I did it alone. And, it, and then the next year I went back and did it again. I, I love the hike so much. It's so beautiful and quiet. And mm. on that north side of the canyon, there's hardly any people. I was finally able to go out this summer 
Kathy and I went hiking in Colorado, and then we had a raft trip that we've postponed, I think, three times because of COVID and some other reasons that we did in September. And that, that raft trip was through the Grand Canyon. I'd never uh -huh. seen it from river level. So that that felt great. I mean, there were both wonderful trips, but more made more so simply because we were outside, you know, and we could do the stuff we love to do. So uh, very, much, very much appeals to me. That sounds... Uh... Sounds fantastic. I did a raft trip once. I think, I think the river was called the Snake River. I can't even remember where it was. Oh, yeah. Somewhere, somewhere in, the, in, the, in the US. Um, what about a, a trip across America? It was uh, quite, quite interesting. It was good. Um, so you've got, I'm really, you know, where did this passion for, <laughs> and, and I, you know, concepts around resistance come from? You know, where, where did that, you know, presumably out of your background somewhere, where, where did this first come into your, into your mind? Well, a couple of things happened. I um, was going to graduate school uh, to work with emotionally disturbed kids in schools. And as it turns out, this program at George Washington University was a pretty radical program. And their belief was that a lot of these kids are not disturbed. It's the schools that are disturbed. And if we can change schools, if we can change systems, we'll have fewer kids acting up and getting in trouble. And I believe that. I believed it then, I still believe it. But I noticed when I would come up with what I thought were great ideas um, that nobody wanted to listen. And I remember after two years experience, I mean, you just gotta get the arrogance of this. Here I am a young man. I've got two years experience working in one of the largest school systems in the United States. I write a letter to the, to the superintendent of schools. I mean, this person did not know me and said, I've come up with some ways that I think can improve our educational system in this county for, I mean, and, and I wrote this proposal. Nobody asked me to do it. So kind of out of politeness and because there was a teacher's union, I think they invited me in and I go in and I'm in selling mode and I'm just, it, to my ears, I was brilliant. I'm talking about all the benefits <laughs> of that and that my stuff is based on the work of the eminent Swiss psychologist, child psychologist, Jean Piaget. And the superintendent stopped me and he said, Mr. Maurer, it might surprise you to learn that uh, those of us who work here in the school system have known about Dr. Piaget's work for quite some time. I mean, you could, <laughs> and it, you could almost hear what was probably going to come next and, and don't let the door hit you on the way out. And I realized it was over. So for a while, I would go, well, that's, they're a bunch of old fuddy-duddies. Well, I used stronger language than that, but, you know, that how, you know, they, they can't see brilliance when it's there. And then it finally dawned on me, maybe it's not them. Maybe it's me. And I would look at other people, and we'd be in a meeting, and they would say something, and people would go, oh, that's a great idea. Or, yeah, let's build on that. And I would say stuff, and <laughs> people would kind of roll their eyes. And I got really interested in this whole notion of support and resistance. And I got out of teaching and started consulting after, after I guess, about eight years. And that just stayed with me. Like, how do people build support for their ideas? And I wasn't happy with what I was seeing and out there in the literature. Everything, there's a lot of talk about overcoming resistance and basically how do we get them to do what we want? And while that's attractive, uh, it generally doesn't get us what we want because people have minds of their own and they usually don't like to be told that what they're doing is wrong. 
So all of that kind of led up to where I am today. And I've written some books, I guess about 25 years ago, I wrote Beyond the Wall of Resistance, and that changed my career. People started calling simply because I had this different way of looking at resistance. And they said, you know, we want to learn from you. And that's, that's been wonderful for me, and it keeps me going. Yeah, that's great. Great that people aren't resistant to resistance, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. One of, one of my clients, his boss said, why is Rick doing a book on resistance? He's going to lose all his clients. And, you know, my friend told me that, and I said, yeah, there's a risk of that, because I really was saying stuff that other business books weren't saying. But as a friend of mine said, uh, much to your point, she said, Rick, so it looks like you're resisting writing this book on resistance. And why is that? <laughs> yeah. And it was great. I love friends like that. And it got me to finish the book and we put it out and it, you know, it, it changed my career. Yeah. So. Yes. You can imagine that being, uh, you can imagine that around the, the dinner table with, with children, um, you know, just uh, when you're resistance to an idea, but dad, I sp- you're supposed to be an expert in resistance. You know, you must have been thrown back at you. Um, <laughs> dad, why are you resisting? Um, <laughs> Maybe that's why we didn't have kids. So <laughs> that, that conversation. Ooh, that saved so much resistance in your life, I can promise you. It does. I'm a very happy man. I experience it every day. I'm hoping to get some tips and ideas <laughs> to help me in that department. So, to, so just tell us, I mean, how do you, Having studied resistance, being an expert in it, how, how, what's your definition of it? What, what would you, you know, how well, would you describe it? Well, the simplest thing, it's actually, I think the Webster's Dictionary uh, definition is resistance is any force that will slow or stop movement. Mm. So it's not saying it's bad. It's not saying it's good. It's saying it's a force that can slow or stop movement. And my, what I would add to that is that often, certainly when we're trying to influence somebody else at work or elsewhere, the resistance often comes because we're not paying attention to what's going on around us. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to get you to do something and I'm not paying attention to the signals uh, that, that, uh, that of, 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 of you're, not, you're not buying it, you're not with me. And so, uh, what I came up with is a different way of looking at resistance, these different lenses that we can use. Mm, mm. And, and I mean, give us, give us some examples of some of the, you know, some of the, sure. you know, uh, uh, resistances that you've experienced working sure. with companies and government agencies. Absolutely. And, you know, and is it cultural as well? Because <laughs> you've been working all over the world. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, I, I need to, just need to set the stage with my model is very simple. Uh, I have three levels of resistance and level one means it's the easiest one to work with. Level two is harder. Level three is hardest, but these, that energy, all three of those is alive all the time. And it's either working to support us or to resist us. So the first one is I don't get it when it's resistance. I, I, I see your lips moving, Chris. I don't understand what you're saying, you know, and that's, that's legitimate, but that's a pretty easy one to fix. Like if you're in finance and I'm in information technology or marketing and you come in and you use the language of finance, you might lose me. And so you go, oh, of course, he doesn't have a background in finance. We need to change our language a bit. I mean, that's, that's pretty simple. Yeah. But we do make that problem. The big problem with that level one 
is often we assume that all resistance is level one. So if I just explain things again, talk slower, add pictures, that it's going to work. And if the resistance is something deeper, talking about it again is actually going to make matters worse because now you're sitting there going, what does he think? I'm an idiot. I understand what he's saying. I just don't agree with him. So, yes. so level one is, you know, kind of intellectual. I get it or not. Level two is I don't like it. And this is an emotional reaction. I'm afraid of what you're going to do. So it's not like I don't like Brussels sprouts. It's like something about this thing scares me. I could yes. lose my job. I could lose face. And when that kicks in, that's an unconscious involuntary action that happens way before our thought process can ever kick in. So as an, let me use an example. Imagine uh, that you know, all of your listeners are in a meeting and I'm, I'm in charge and I'm making this presentation. And I said, you know, a lot of organizations have gone through changes like this. I've uh, had a lot of downsizing. And suddenly, <laughs> most of the room goes, oh my God, downsizing, I, I'm going to die, I've got a mortgage, i got a kid in college. And while your brain is you know, wrapped up thinking about survival, I finish the sentence and say, but that's not likely to happen here. In fact, that won't happen here. But you don't hear it. You literally, your brain is otherwise occupied. So this level two is a big deal. And one of the reasons it's a huge deal is that generally in the workplace, we don't have a way to talk about fear. Mm. You know, so the best thing we do is we stay silent or we raise our hand with a level one question and say, hey, uh, Chris, could you go back to the last, that last slide? I have a question about the timeline. Now, that's a legitimate question. That's a level one kind of thing. Or could you go over the schedule again? That's a level one question. So you walk out of the meeting going, Wow, that went really well. I mean, they asked good questions. I had answers for them. The problem is they, they were talking about what was safe. What was really going on is they're scared, you know, to death. So you got, I don't get it. I don't like it. The third one is I don't like you. And what this means is I don't have trust and confidence in you or the people you represent to uh, handle a change or a project like this. Um, and that one rarely gets talked about in that if, if that level three is working for you, it, it can erase a lot of sins. It's a big deal. And if, if people don't trust you, it's an equally big deal. And yet we don't, when we talk about change, we tend to talk about what's this plan going to look like? How are we going to get people involved? All of that's really good. But if they don't trust us, we got a big problem. So... Okay, I realize I haven't given you examples yet. We did have to, we did have to break because we're um, we're going to go to the commercial break now. But I think uh, I think they're the really really helpful uh, lens to to understand this area of resistance. I, I, you shared with the, these with me while we're planning this show, and I, I've just already found this practically very very helpful. Um, so let's explore that a bit more after the break, and then maybe okay. also you can you could share one or two examples as well where you've uh, where you've experienced it. So we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes so everybody please do join us after the break when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called 
the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Rick Maurer, and we're talking about resistance. And I just think this is a great, a great uh, subject. And uh, Rick was sharing, he shared three levels which get increasingly you know more sort of challenging i don't get it i don't like it i don't like you um rick anything else we need to know about this um these lenses which i think are very very powerful and i see number two and number three is almost like the elephant some elephants in the room people don't talk about right uh, easily um yeah uh, what what else do we need to know and give us some examples sure thing um the, what I found is that my editor, Leslie Stephen, had given me the, the phrases, I don't get it, I don't like it, I don't like you. And I hadn't realized how powerful it was to talk about these in that language. I had a client who was a chemical engineer and he ran a plant. And what, what, really great guy and great to work with. But he called me one day and said, Rick, I got a level three issue with the head of the union. And within a minute, we're talking about trust and vulnerability. If he and I had had to just start from scratch and kind of dig in, well, how are things going? Well, not so good. We could spend a whole hour just, you know, mining, uh, trying to find something. But by having, by going into, I got a level three issue, bam, I can say, what's up? And he said, well, blah, blah, blah. And we immediately are talking about why what's getting in the way, why it's so scary, what he can do. And so I'm, always, I'm eternally grateful to Leslie for giving me those phrases. Um, I want to give you um, what, one example I love. Uh, a friend of mine, John Mariotti, used to be the head of Huffy Bicycles. And Huffy Bicycles is a, uh, the kind of bike, a good, reliable family bike that you might find in uh, a department store of some sort. So they're, so they're not racing bikes. They're not, you know, they're, they're not the $3,000, $5,000 kind of uh, elite bikes. I mean, and 
they were back in, I think it was the, uh, around 1980, Schwinn was the bike maker. And certainly in America, it was Schwinn. And if you were a kid and you had a Schwinn, man, you had a good bike. Um, and <clears throat> they had three speeds. Man, that, that was really something. And <clears throat> anyway, Schwinn was doing well. Huffy was not doing so well. <clears throat> and then they decided to embrace this new quality movement. Like if we start making better bikes, you know, our sales will probably go up. And they, they just couldn't figure out why things weren't working. And they, they started to say, you know, it's the first line supervisors. I mean, they're old, they're men, they, they can't get with the program. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of prejudicial kind of stereotypes. And then one of the people in the meeting said, did we ever tell them what we're trying to do? And the room got quiet and, and somebody said, no, you know, but they, they really are the natural leaders here. So at level one, I mean, they, they went in and said, hey, we realize we made a big mistake. This is a nice level three move, by the way, about emitting vulnerability. But they said, we made a mistake. We left you guys out of the loop. You know, you're the natural leaders here. We want to tell you why it's so important for us to increase quality. And as they talked, people started getting on board. And I remember John said that probably 70% of them became enthusiastic supporters. And, and some of the others saw the writing on the wall, like they were going to have to start to listen to people. They were going to have to be a different kind of supervisor. And so they retired. Mm. But, but the big thing is just if you have a lens and you can say, if something's getting in the way, if I look at it through facts and figures, level one, does that tell me anything? If I put another lens on and look at it through level two, what does that have to do with excitement or fear? Uh, and at level three, do people trust us or, or not trust us? And all those together are, are the formula to be able to create support or create resistance. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, L love it. Okay. Can I tell you another story? Mm, please do. Okay, maybe your listeners could use this. Um, when my book first came out in 96, called Beyond the Wall of Resistance, Deloitte Consulting hired me they would, as they referred to it, they would parachute me in. They'd be working on a project with a client and I would come in and I would teach my stuff and then I'd leave. And so their, their, their consult, one of their consultants who ended up being a good friend of mine was working with this planning team in an old organization, an organization about a hundred years old. And the planning team was uh, coming up with a plan for business process reengineering, and at the time that was hugely controversial. I mean, people would say, "Oh, God, my cousin lost his job because of that." I mean, the press that it was getting was really bad, and so I'm just teaching my stuff. Uh, and I had just taught the three levels, and some guy said, "Rick, next week the bomb is on, going to drop. What, what, should, what should we do?" I mean, I had no idea what he's talking about. And, and other people are like, yeah, he's right, man. The ball is going to be off. There's going to be blood everywhere. I mean, it's kind of horrible images. And I said, what's happening next week? And they said, we're holding a meeting. And I go, yeah. I mean, because, yeah, I get that meetings don't go well, but I'm not hearing this catastrophe. And people said, oh, it's just people are going to hate it. They're going to da-da-da-da-da. And I, what shall we do? And I didn't know enough about what was going on to give a recommendation. I mean, I would love to have said, well, you know, turn to page 42 in my book and there's the answer. I mean, it just, it would have been arrogant and the wrong thing to do. 
And so out of desperation, I'm trying to think it. I thought, look, everybody here knows somebody who's coming to that, that meeting next week where you're introducing your big plan to the key stakeholders. And everybody said, yeah. I said, what's going to be on their minds? Now, remember, I'm just fishing for data. And people started shouting stuff out at me. And there was a flip chart there. And I started writing as fast as I could. And I probably ended up with maybe 50 things on a single sheet of paper. And I collected all that information in probably three minutes. And then I said, all right. By the way, when I was collecting it, I'm just looking for data, but now I knew what to do with it. And I said, hey, let me use a green marker. Which of these are level one have to do mm. with lack of understanding? By the way, everything on their list was negative. That's usually not the case. This was an extreme example. But which of these are level one? So everything was, uh, so I underlined with green. And let's say I used a blue marker for level two. And I said, which of these have to do with fear? You know, um, and people told me, and I said, which of these then have, and I used, let's say, a red marker, which of these have to do with uh, lack of trust and confidence? And they told me. And the same guy said, oh, that's why the bomb is going to drop. And people looked at him and said, what are you talking about? I said, look at that. Maybe 10% of the things on that list are level one, have to do with, you know, our, you know what we're talking about, our plans, our budgets, all of that. And he said, but they're coming into that meeting with a lot of level two fear and a strong distrust in us. Yes. Yeah. And people, yes. And that's exactly, Chris, what people, they, people went, yeah, that's mm -hmm. right. And they said something, something I loved. And I, I just, I love this story because I was just there to teach. You know, I was supposed to leave in, you know, an hour and a half. And they said, could we use the next hour to redesign that meeting? And their Deloitte consultant said, sure. I mean, I said, sure. I thought it was a great idea. Hmm. They, turned, they turned their chairs around. They did not call on Ross or me that entire hour. What they did is they said, how are we going to have the same meeting, the same players, the same bad coffee, but how are we going to do it in a way that we can cover the stuff we need to cover at level one, but do it in a way that may start to reduce their fear and might start to build trust in us? Yeah, that was it. So same meeting, everything was the same, except their intention was, how do we do this in a way that's more respectful and more engaging to other people? And they did it. And you could, it's funny, as they started talking, their energy was high, but it was a negative kind of like, oh, no, it's awful. But maybe 20 minutes into that conversation, it shifted. And now, this was a meeting that if you walked by the room, you'd say, wow, there's something ex exciting going on in there. And the consultants, Ross and me, had nothing to do with it. I mean, they were doing it. And so at the end of the meeting, they're, they're very excited. And I said, well, let me know how it goes. And so they did the next week, and they said it was amazing. It was a great meeting. It's not like 100% of the key stakeholders are on board with us, but a lot are. We really have made some headway. People are starting to trust us. And that kind of story gives me hope. You can gather the data quickly. Uh, from other people. In fact, I have a free ebook called The Magic List, which talks about other free, quick ways to gather information. But, but that what I find is that once people really get it, they get what's on the list, quite often they have the skills to turn things around. Mm. Yeah, I, I love it. I'm thinking of uh, 
just because it mind thinking of, of situations where that I've been in with through consultancy and and clients I'm working with and when where there's resistance and I think those levels one two and three very very helpful I think uh, real gems for people to take away from today and I also sort of wondering um, you know sometimes we feel feel resistance in ourselves don't we resistance to speak out you know resistance to move initiative forward because we might look we might look silly um resistance because we don't quite know what's what's going to come back at us if we if we do it and any thoughts about overcoming resistance in ourselves yeah um it's the situation you're describing or the type has to do with pardon me us in relationship to others so rick and chris in uh, having a conversation where we're trying to influence each other or a team or an entire organization. But something is going on in us. So why, you know, why would I not speak up? And so we could look at it just quickly, go, well, all right, level one, do I really know what I'm talking about? Do I have, I, you know, do I have my, uh, have I done my homework? And that's a legitimate question to ask. I mean, some people, you know, just, start talking and then they hope some ideas will come. So, you know, you might say, no, no, this, this group really relies on data. You have to do your homework. Have I done that? That's, that's level one. Level two is why, why would I think I would feel silly? Well, uh, and, and then you start to look at kind of the fear. Well, uh, I'm, I'm one of the lowest people in the group in terms of hierarchy and people at my level generally aren't coming up with ideas, so I'm afraid. You know, I'm afraid, you know, of this, or that I'll have an idea that they thought of, you know, before I ever started working there, and I'm, once again, I'm going to look silly. So there could be something there. And by the way, that might be absolutely true. You might say, <clears throat> yeah, it is risky for somebody in my position to say something. Um, I, I'll go to level three in a second. I remember working with a, a <clears throat> pardon me, a senior leader in a, a family-owned business, and the, the head of the organization was the, you know, the head of the family. And I said, whenever we would get a new manager in, we would try to catch him before the first staff meeting and say, never, ever criticize our boss in a meeting, ever. Don't disagree with him. You can do it privately, but never in a meeting. He said, but if we didn't get to those new, new hires, they go into the meeting and they want to make their mark and they say, hey, you know, I, yeah, I don't think the way you guys are going with that is a good way to go. And he said, those people aren't at the next meeting. Mm. So, so sometimes the resistance, you know, resistance is a good thing. You know, it's why I don't go down dark streets. Uh, and I think <laughs> it's why um, I, we just rafted the Grand Canyon. And it's why the people leading the trip really paid attention to water levels and what was going on. So, you know, you might call that resistance, but I... It's resistance is there for a good reason. It's to protect us from harm. We sometimes overdo it. And so go back to the story, the level three, why I might not bring it up is these people don't know me. Uh, They don't trust me. So for instance, uh, I live here in the States. I'm a consultant. When I work outside the United States, one of the worst things I can do when working with a client is start to tell them what I see that they're not seeing. It's just, I don't have the credibility to do that. I, I hope to get that, but <clears throat> they're going to go, who died and made him God? I mean, it's just, <clears throat> uh, 
So, so if I have that resistance, I need to look at it because it might be perfectly legitimate. It, you know, I'm, a, I'm not a, a good downhill skier, but I know not to get on the double black diamond slopes, you know. I'm on, I deserve, you know, where I need to be is on the bunny slope, that little green slope that's so easy, you know. And so it's resistance that keeps me off of those, you know, death-defying uh, slopes. So I need to, whenever I'm in a situation, I need to go, what, what's going on in the culture? What's going on in my relationship to the culture? And so what can I do to begin to build credibility or, or whatever it might take? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is um, so. My my mind is going on to a situation I have next week that I'm thinking about how all, you know, how all of this fits in with a, a cultural transformation project that I'm working oh. on at the moment. So this is very, 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 very helpful stuff. I think we're going to go to another commercial break now. But a- after the break, I want to yeah obviously explore this a little bit a little bit further and how we can maybe you know reduce some of the influence from uh, from other, other people. Um, I think that would be really, really helpful in these situations. I mean, I'm in, intrigued as well. How do you build that trust with that, uh, with that board? Because actually, it might be that that uh, you know that senior person in that uh, the company is actually has a problem themselves with being resistant mm-hmm. to to hearing other ideas. So you, you, sometimes you may need to influence people to change, perhaps for the better of the company. Um, so let's explore some of those things after the break. We'll be back with everybody in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One to one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with uh, Rick Mauer. We're talking about resistance and overcoming it. And we all experience it, don't we? And uh, it's, it can be very challenging for us. So, so Rick, with, um, with the level one, which is the, the, you know, the I don't get it, is, uh, is some technique here? You know, is it important to be just very specific and clear with people about articulating something rather than confusing them to get through level one? Yes, that can be very, very helpful. The one thing I would do 
is when I'm gathering information, like that list that I talked yeah. about. I want to get all that information and then out of that decipher what might have to do with facts and figures and lack of understanding. Uh, because we, it's, we don't go through those in order. Like we go through and you passed a test on the facts and figures, now I can get to the emotions. It, it doesn't work that way. It's all, it's all of a piece. But one of the things we can do is if we know our audience, we, we can say, all right, how are they likely to respond to this? I mean, are they, uh, like, do they know this language? Let's say it's, you're working with a, you're a computer programmer and you're working with people who are in human resources or some other department where that's not their specialty. You immediately might say, what's common language for me, which work, works in the hallway and in meetings in our own department is not the language I can use here. So there I need to be precise. I also need to make it very easy for people to ask questions. Yes. I need to, you know, you know, because it's really, it's just so tempting to get into speaking mode and go on and on and on. And we, we've got, we've got to have that feedback loop to let us know, am I, am I being clear? Um, and make it easy for people to say, no, you're not being clear here. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like it. And, and then in terms of addressing whether people like it or not, whether they're feeling afraid about this, can you in the right situations take a temperature check on that? How, um, or, or do you recommend before sharing something where there might be resistance that you even share those three steps? Three lenses. You can. Um, I, it, I would share the three lenses if I already had a pretty good relationship with yes. people. Or yeah. else it's going to seem like I'm trying to do something to them. Like, oh, Chris just went away and got religion. Oh, no, we've got it. He just read another book. He's now going to tell us here's what's wrong. So, um, but if you have a good relationship, hey, you know, this might really help our conversations. Hmm. So, and, and a key thing is when I work with clients these days, I ask two questions. Uh, because I want to make sure it's a good fit. And the first one is, uh, how important is it for you to build support for this change or this idea? Scale of one to five, five being high. And the second question is, how willing are you to be influenced by the people you're trying to influence? Let me say it again, because that one takes a minute to go in. How willing are you to be influenced by the very people who you're trying to influence? Yes. And once again, one to five. And I tell people that... If you not if you don't put support very high, that might be okay. But the stuff I'm talking about is probably not going to be very helpful. In fact, the stuff that I'm talking about could come across as manipulation. Yeah, he holds these meetings, he asks these questions, but he doesn't really care. So yes. it could come across. And the one, am I willing to be influenced? That's a huge one. And if a client says to me honestly, or a potential client says, honestly, no, we're probably a three or a two. I really don't care much. I'll go, you know, good luck. Uh, my stuff is not going to be helpful. In fact, it could make matters worse. I would not, mm. you know, I would just never mention the name Rick Maurer again. Mm. But it's it's that kind of understanding who who I'm working with and, and what needs to be there. So um, does that make sense? Yeah, so, so it does. You're making a... You're making a judgment call as to um, 
Yeah, in some ways, as to the you know, to, as to the thinking of the individual, you get a sense yeah. of the kind of quality of your relationship with them, but also their openness to change. Yeah, uh, and that's really, really important, I think. Yeah, good. I got yeah. a story for you, actually. Yeah, I was doing work in a hospital, and the hospital was in a very competitive environment. In the states, hospitals are in competition with each other. Uh, we don't have a national health service uh, like many other countries do. And um, they, the head of nursing called me in and said, um, we've decided, the executive group, we've decided to hire non-licensed people to do simple nursing functions. And a lot of states in this, here in the United States, is legal, that's legal. Other states, it, it wasn't legal. But she said, it's legal here. I think it's really going to help us. And we're, you know, it's going to help uh, patient care is, uh, is not going to be worse for it, and we can save a lot of money. And she said, but I think a lot of nurses are going to be scared, level level two, personal care. And she said, I think they trust me. And she was absolutely right. They trusted her. And I, she said, so I'd like to talk with them, but I don't want to hold a meeting with 300 nurses in the room because then I'm tempted to do all the talking. So mm -hmm. here she knows herself well enough to know if she's on stage and they're not, she could spend 10 minutes on an answer, you know, and that sort of thing. So she said, what I want to do is have groups of maybe 25, 30 people. And I want to be able to explain what we're doing and then address questions. Can you help me? And I said, sure. So we designed these meetings for 25, 30 people. And they would quickly, she and her uh, chief of staff would uh, present, here's what's going on. And then there would be open questions. And she, we scheduled them uh, in 90-minute meetings, four on Wednesday, four on Thursday, and three on Friday to get everybody. Hmm. And I said, I said, Peggy, this is a really dumb idea. I said, it's, uh, you're going to be so burned out by the fifth one of those, you're going to go, Dip. I have to hear that question one more time. And she said, you know, Rick, I know there's a risk of that but we've got to do it. Everybody's got to get the same message at the same time. And to her credit, she was as fresh at meeting 11 as she was at meeting one. Pretty so we do, we do the first meeting. She and her assistant, Michael, get up and they talk about, here's what's going to happen. Here's when it's going to happen. And then she said, um, so how about some questions? And people started asking questions. And she's really good with people and she answered them. So meeting's over. We've got 30-minute break now, and we're talking to debrief it. And she said, wow, I thought that went really well. Would it, you know, Because everybody was polite. People asked questions. And she said, how do you think it went, Rick? And I didn't use the language level one, two, and three because I hadn't come up with it yet. But I said, you know, people ask a lot of polite questions, level one, and you gave a lot of polite answers. But a lot of those things could have been answered in an email. Uh, or a newsletter. I said, I don't think that's why we're having these 11 meetings. Why do you think we're having the meetings? And she said, I think people are afraid. I think they're afraid they're going to lose their jobs or that patient care is going to go down. And I said, great. In the next meeting, answer questions, even if they're these very simple things, but then speculate. So next meeting, they, they talk about here's what's going to happen. They ask the questions, and people are asking these polite questions, like when's it going to start, and you know, uh, what department's going to start, and that sort of thing. And remember, she took a step forward. Everybody in the new 
in the room knew that she was a licensed nurse herself. And most everybody knew her. I mean, she would be out on the floor. She'd be out on the floor at 3 a.m. and 3 p.m. And people, she was available. Uh, so she took a step forward and she said, you know, if I was in your shoes right now, I think I might be afraid for my job. And you could see bodies move. <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was an amazing thing. And she said, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't make a promise, but I really believe this is the best thing for our hospital. I think it's the, probably the most reliable way that we can, you know, provide quality care and keep hold of our jobs. Yes. And, and then, and people started going, that makes sense. And here's then what she did next. She said, would any of you be willing to work with me to try to come up with a way that we can make this transition work well? Mm. Okay. And then in other meetings, somebody said, I'm concerned about my license. You know, if they mess up, a non-licensed person messes up, it's my license is in jeopardy. And, and I remember Peggy said, you know, you're right. And I didn't think of that. Would you be willing to work with me? to try to come up with a way that we can ensure that these non-licensed people are the, doing it right. So she was willing to address the resistance by saying, hey, if I was in your shoes, bam, 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 it opened the door for people to say other things, and then she was open to being influenced. Mm. So for me, it was a great example of blending level one facts and figures, really dealing with the emotional stuff in an adult way, and showing that she was trustworthy. Yes, yes, I love that. Fantastic. Now we've got got um, just got a few minutes left uh, yeah. to the end of the interview, and, and this has been absolutely great. And I'm I'm just wondering if you've got any thoughts for people who are at the moment maybe you know feeling um, over the next year they want to elevate their contribution in their businesses, and they're they maybe you know a risk of falling into the gloom of this world crisis. Uh, what I'm what I'm sensing in the example that you just shared there was about, you know, that that example that lady had a very, you know, very positive energy about it, didn't she? Yes. Uh, yeah. and, and 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 energy is really really important, I think. Mm -hmm. To um, you know, if if you if you if you if you're talking in a downbeat manner, you know, you're probably going to get more resistance, aren't you? As if as if you if you you're positive and energized and and you're fresh like she was through those okay. eleven meetings. So how do you keep that energy up and that? that positivity up to enable you to overcome the resistance that you might personally feel and you might encounter over the next 12 months or so? I, I, I don't, it's a great question. I don't have a great one size fits all response, but one of the things that I think could help if we go back to the Peggy example is she was inviting people in to help with this. So it wasn't her against them or her having to be the magician she was saying, hey, this is tough stuff. Would you be willing to work with me? Would you yeah. be willing to help? And when I see that happen, that makes a huge difference. I remember once a chief executive officer, chief operating officer, pardon me, of a, a huge company, 100,000 people company, was kicking off a training session. He was just there to say, hey, welcome, blah, 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 blah. And somebody raised their hand and said, and, and pointed to him during the Q&A, people were asking really polite questions during the Q&A, like, when's that July initiative going to start? He would say, well, it's going to happen in July. I mean, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But this guy raises his hand and he said, 
what are you guys doing about horizontal integration? Which was a big challenge for them. They were kind of worldwide. They were the amalgamation of a bunch of companies. And it was just this nasty tone. Now, as a leader, uh, let me call the guy Jim. As a leader, Jim could have reacted, uh, <laughs> you know, harshly or sarcastically, and he didn't. And he stopped and he looked at him and he said, you know, that's a really good question and I don't have a really good answer. And he stepped back and he said, if any of you have any suggestions for ways that we can make that happen, I am, I see, he said, I and the executive team are more than willing to hear them. Please call me if you got ideas. I mean, yes. so what he's doing, he's inviting people in to kind of uh, help with things, to, to, to be open to that. Yeah. So one thing that does in terms of our own energy, to your point, Chris, is it allows us to be more energized because we're not trying to do something to get them somewhere. We're trying to work with them. And I think that's can be a more energizing thing for a lot of us. And what we're not, that lovely example there is we're not suggesting as a leader that we've got all the all, yes. you know, all the ideas, have we? You know, and it's actually, it's quite disrespectful to a, a group of people with lots of experience to suggest yes. that you've got more knowledge in your head than than maybe um, you know, a group of, of 10 people <laughs> with experience. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I, amazing thing. I, every time I wrote a book, I felt like my IQ gro- uh, raised about 25 points um, <laughs> because people would treat me like I knew more than I did. And I, Wait a minute, I just wrote that book. I'm not smarter <laughs> than I was. But that can go to your head. Can. And so, and, and that can be really, that can just be a killer. And, I've only lost track of time, Rick. Do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with? Yeah. Uh, there's a, a great sports figure in the States. He's long dead now, but a Hall of Famer in baseball. And he said, you can observe a lot just by watching. And I would say that people for the next years, you, you really want to kind of up your game and all that. Just start by observing what's going on. Don't try to make it different. Get curious about what's going on. Who's listened to? Who's not? Where does energy build? Where does it wane? That alone can be a huge, huge, have a huge impact. Fantastic. Rick, I think this has been a, a brilliant conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to you. I think it's a, it's a topic. And we've, this is the 440th show. We've never d- dedicated a show to this subject. And the, just the importance of it, the awareness of it, and having some strategies and tactics to thinking through and deal with it. I think... Uh, uh, hugely, hugely helpful. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I genuinely do think that's um, been a brilliant, um, a brilliant conversation and, um, and some great wisdom. Uh, and um, we, people can access um, seizing moments of possibility, ways to trigger energy and forward momentum on your ideas and plans completely for free. It sounds like there's more free resources as well from uh, uh, rickmara.com. That's Rick, R I C K M A U E R. No, so uh, M-A-U-R-E-R, that's correct, isn't it? M-A-U-R-E-R, sorry, Rick. M-A-U-R-E-R, that's Rick, M-A-U-R-E-R dot com. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. And on next week's show, we have Rona McKenzie. Rona's going to be talking about reinventing yourself, and you may be going through, you know, changes at the moment, thinking about your future, um, you know, we've all been thinking, people have been thinking about working more from home, um, well-being. Uh, you may have a, want to change direction. Uh, Rona's done that a number of occasions. Um, I happen to have done that too. 
Uh, and uh, I think Rick probably has as well, you know, reinvented themselves and, and moved forward uh, and, you know, making this contribution. You might want to pivot. You might decide like Rick, there's a subject that really is, is passionate and you can become a, a thought leader on. So we're going to talk about this, about reinventing yourself next week. But uh, once again, uh, a big a big thank you to Rick Maurer. Um, RickMaurer.com. Do go and visit it. Do access those free resources because um, this has been great. Thank you so much, Chris. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. 